You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf with Healthicity. And today we are talking with Brian Burton, the Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer for Healthicity. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm great, CJ. Good morning to you and good afternoon or evening to those who may be listening to us. That's right. If you're, and hopefully you're not listening like at two in the morning. Sometimes people can't sleep. Maybe we could be a good uh, sleeping aid and we'll put people right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, today... Um, we wanted to talk, we've had a few people approach us and had some questions about how do you get into compliance? You know, how do you get into that as a career? And so Brian and I thought we would talk a little bit about that, share how each of us has kind of fallen into compliance. I don't know, we, it, that's how it seems like for a lot of people. Um, and then maybe we can talk about ideas for, for other folks. But, um, you know, no one, I don't think anyone grows up thinking I want to be a compliance officer. Did you grow up that way, Brian? <laughs> I didn't. I, I, if I could have forecasted this as my career path, I, I, complete surprise to me. Exactly. Well, and I just, I try to, my kids will ask me sometimes, dad, what is it that you do again? <laughs> and uh, oh, that, that's the most difficult question to answer for people. Um, I, right. I typically just try to try to explain I work in healthcare and I make sure or try to ensure we're following the rules, regulations, and laws that are applicable to healthcare. Exactly. That's what I tell my kids and they're like, oh yeah, that sounds boring. <laughs> yeah. And, and then most people are like, what does that mean? And then if you, and then I found that if I say, well, I make sure that we're following HIPAA and then, then that becomes clear. Exactly. Exactly. So Brian, why don't we, if it's okay, why don't we start with you? And I'm interested in, you know, how did you, get into compliance, you, you were probably, I don't know for sure. So you were probably doing some other things before you got into compliance as a full-time profession. So tell us a little bit about background and then what the path that led you into what you're doing now. It's really interesting uh, for me, I, I, it, realistically, because it was a complete surprise to me. I had no idea what, it, what, what compliance was really, other than uh, I went to work for a healthcare system back in 2004, and I was familiar with the code of conduct because um, I had to take that every year. Um, right. And I understood that we had a hotline and that was about the extent, of, you know, my understanding of the code of conduct and the hotline was about the extent of my, my real knowledge of compliance for five or six years or so. Um, but I was working in the technology department at that health system. Okay. And had worked on a variety of things, but built data centers and did all kinds of fun stuff as a as an IT professional. Um, I moved into more of a project management role, uh, okay. and then I think in two thousand nine, I picked up a project randomly assigned to me and my and my team um, to orchestrate and and build a new solution to manage payments to potential referral sources. And so this project, what we did was we, we, we integrated with our accounts payable solution and okay. our contract management solution, created this hybrid database that crosswalked all of our 
all of our AP payments to all of our physician contracts and their identified potential referral sources and made sure that all of the payments to those potential referral sources were appropriate. Ah. At the, you know, I, I, you know, and that was my first, that was my first real introduction to what it meant to be a compliance professional. Cause as a project manager, I, I had to learn the solution. <clears throat> so not only did I have to learn the general financials and the accounts payable process, but also had to learn what was Stark. What is the definition of a potential referral source? How do we identify those? What is the what is the procedure to identify them? How do we make all the technology work inside the contract management solution to, right. to identify those properly? And hopefully, what I learned from all of uh, from all of that process was I, I had a, a, a much deeper understanding of Stark. They had the kickback statute and how it applied to us at that health system. Um, and at the conclusion of that. Oh, go ahead. Question. I was going to add, I'm just on that. Were you, so you were doing the technical side. Was there somebody like from a compliance department involved in yeah. the start or were you asked to also learn all that? Okay. So you had, I, had, I was reporting directly to the compliance department and the chief compliance officer there at the time okay. as my, as my liaison for that project. Of course we had liaisons and, and working with the CFO and their team. Sure. And multiple members of the leadership from accounts pay or from the finance team. Um, but I was really organizing all of the meetings with all of those stakeholders to pull okay. all of that information together and assimilate it. So, you know, I, for me, when I was managing projects like that, I, I found I was more successful when I understood everything completely. And so I just rolled up my sleeves and really tried to study and learn and understand what was Stark. What was the anti-kickback statute? And how does this apply to our organization? Right. Which, funny, I, I imagine you have a similar experience. Anytime we have a compliance problem, that's what we have to do. We have right. to really understand the, the problem. How do we solve it? And what, what remedial or corrective actions can we implement to protect us? Well, and, and on that point, you know, I, I was thinking about problem-solving skills. So I was just, before we, you know, started this a couple of days I've been thinking, you know, what are some of the important things on your pathway to compliance and what skills should people have? And problem solving was like the number one that I came up with because you're dealt with an issue and you're trying to solve the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And to make that really long story shorter, um, at the end of the project or near the end of the project, the chief compliance officer um, at that particular uh, company offered me a position on her team uh, to transition from from where I was in in IT and IT project management to come work directly into uh, in the compliance department, and my first compliance department role and responsibility was triaging hotline calls. And so, for the first six months or so, reporting into that into that department, making the transition, I was I was the intake person for all of our hotline calls. Well, that would be interesting. What a great way to get experience. Yeah. Just understanding, you know, what what were the issues, allegations, and complaints that were coming into our program, and then learning how to make that decision process on which function of our compliance department was best suited to investigate and right. and determine the outcome. Yeah, that'd be a great starting position for somebody in compliance because you get a nice broad overview of all the different things coming in. You might even be able to find, oh, I like this subject, but I hate that subject. <laughs> um, yeah. But and for me in that particular, at that particular health system, you know, the volume of calls, you know, was 
fortunately, we had a very healthy and mature compliance program there. The volume of calls might be half a dozen to two dozen a week. So yes. we were getting lots of reports and to your point, lots of different various things that were being reported to our compliance program. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your schooling then or your training before the health. Or I mean, were you trained in IT? Like, is that what you had? Yeah, I, I, my, my career, I, I have a, a bit of a, I guess, a unique perspective or a unique pathway. Uh, I went to I joined the Army right out of high school um, okay. and I, I happened to pick a, a in the army, they allowed us to pick the job that we were doing. Um, and so I happened to choose a very technical telecommunications um, uh, job. It was, it required six months of what they call advanced individual training. Um, and, and where I really had to, to your point, learn those problem solving skills. So, you know, don't ask me to do this today, but, you know, board, <laughs> you know, circuit board level soldering right. and repair, <laughs> but, you know, replacing resistors and things like that. Um, yeah. So I, I learned a very technical trade um, in, in my professional career. And that transitioned into project management and then compliance. I see. And I think that would be, you know, I, I also was thinking before the we were going to meet, I was thinking, what kind of pathways do people typically come in? There's no one typical path, but I do see a lot of folks coming from kind of a, a technical background with maybe IT expertise or information systems. And that's a really valuable skill set in compliance, especially now with, you know, with uh, HIPAA security rule and those sorts of things. What are your thoughts on that skill set and how it lends itself to maybe a career or path to compliance? Yeah, I, I, for me, I think the one thing that I learned in joining my, my first compliance team that I joined way back in 2009 um, was we had a very eclectic, hopefully we can edit this out. The one thing I forgot to mute was my phone. Yeah. Cut. Misty, hopefully the the our, our editor will be able to, and let me retake, uh, making you react. Yeah, so... Um, you know, you talk about your background in uh, come from a technical background and training from the army, and I'm kind of curious whether you think that skill set. I've seen people come from like an information systems or IT or computer background, and how that skill set might lend itself to a future career or path to compliance. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I really think that's an integral part of uh, of a larger and and mature compliance program is to have various compliance experts with various expertise and backgrounds. Um, I was very blessed in my first compliance team. We had a very eclectic group of compliance professionals. You know, some were RNs and had provided clinical support. Um, others came from the HIM department and, and that experience and background. Others came from, um, it came from the, uh, uh, came, came to us from the finance side or yep. internal audit. Uh, right. And provided those types of experiences, and for me, I was the I was the first person to join our compliance team that had that true IT background. And, and to your point, it, it becomes a very integral part of your compliance program as you translate the differences between the privacy rule, the security rule, and an organization's overall HIPAA compliance program. Yeah, I've seen that in a lot of compliance programs. So, you know, I've worked full time in-house as a compliance officer, but I've also done consulting. And what you mentioned is not very rare. Like a lot of compliance programs are made up of people from different backgrounds and skill sets. Like you get a lot of legal folks 
right? That are yeah. excellent at interpreting some of those laws and telling us what, you know, where the, that bright line is. Then you get, like you said, clinical folks. Um, I've seen people that come from a training background uh, because, you know, one of the elements of a compliance program is effective training. And so they can assist there. I've even seen investigators, right? There may be people who are- Law enforcement. Yeah, people, there was one person who that was their main job. That was about 80% of what she did was she did our investigations, um, you know, with allegations of you know, violations of internal policy or violations of retaliation and those sorts of things where you have to be very precise in your investigation, you're interviewing people and those sorts of things. So, and, you know, and I come from a clinical background. So you mentioned RNs and that's kind of where I came from. Unlike you, I, who would have thought that we would have ended up, I didn't even know there was a career in compliance, but um, you know, I started in the nineties um, in medical school where I don't know if you know, but I think some of our listeners probably do about the path audits. These are the physicians at teaching hospital audits. And as a medical student, I was intrigued why we were required to do, get all this training and how we were documenting in the medical record, because there were all these settlements, multi-million dollar settlements at teaching institutions where, you know, the attending physicians were just signing the note and then they would get paid, you know, so all, that whole thing about the path audits, the teaching physician rules, and, and that's piqued my interest. Um, you know, I ended up finishing medical school, starting a residency, but then I, I knew I didn't want to do clinical care and found an institution that was interested in hiring somebody dumb enough to try to teach doctors <laughs> about Medicare compliance. And I guess I was dumb enough. Um, but that was kind of my start. So I kind of came from that coding and clinical background. And like you said, there's, there, there's a place often for all sorts of different, different backgrounds. I, I couldn't agree more. I think the strongest uh, compliance teams, you know, the compliance officer or the leader of the team is, is looking for that diverse set of skills and experiences. Um, and, the, and then can, on the contrary, we have, our, we have our compliance programs that are very small. Right. right. Uh, and they're, right. they're they come from a uh, it might be five or 10 physicians in their particular practice. And, and they're looking for one person to be the compliance professional. And, and I always have a tremendous amount of empathy for that that person um, yeah. because they, they're they're stuck or they're, they're asked to manage a full fledged compliance program and they don't have necessarily all those same tools and resources. And yeah. I think that's where Healthicity, where we really try to step in and provide that level, that extra level of support, uh, being an additional resources through the things that we do, you know, the things you yeah. and I do together, the things you do, and and all the resources that we put together that are public, that, that are out there on our website. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're, we're helping clients every day with their the, with their instances of audit manager and compliance manager, our our advisory services solutions that we offer. I think that's where that's where my passion's at is to really be that to be that extra layer of support for individuals who who might not have the opportunity to have a ten person compliance team. Yeah, exactly, and you know, and even those larger teams don't have all the in house expertise, right? So, and I think it's good as a compliance professional to know where your strengths are, and then to know where you really need assistance, right? So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's actually a strength to recognize when you know, you can do things yourself and when you might want to re rely on somebody else. Um, so a couple other questions for you. So problem, we talk about problem solving skills. These are some of the other 
skill sets that I thought were important. I'd love your thoughts. And maybe if you know of certain backgrounds that might lend themselves to these like communication skills, because, you know, as a compliance officer, you have to communicate with frontline employees, as well as executives, as well as board members, uh, analytical skills, uh, skills at anticipation. So anticipating what may happen. And then I put human behavior down. Do any of those kind of ring a bell with you? Absolutely. And I think, you know, being a professional project manager, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about what um, the Project Management Institute does is really focus on the people aspect of project management. Uh, And for me, coming from a very technical background, I really had to focus on my personnel skills or or interacting and communicating with various levels of individuals. You know, I I think back to my days as a project manager and, and I had to go back to the back to the basement and talk to the to the introverted, um, yes. very technical, very, very curt and direct individual who's super smart and intelligent and, right. and capable of doing amazing things technically, but really struggled in communicating with with the management team. Right. And so learning how to manage that those communications and going from going from talking to the to the super technical IT folks and then transitioning what they learn and what they inform us and then carrying that up to our management, senior management, and even the board. As a project manager, I really developing those skills translated super well to a compliance profession because to your point, we have to make ourselves available to the frontline staff, help them understand the rules, policies, and requirements that we have, understand their problems and challenges and help them resolve them. And then we also have to manage you know, our communication and, and efforts with the management team in the organization. And then we all, oh, by the way, we got to put on our jacket and tie and go to the board meeting and represent our compliance program. Yeah. So project management skills. And I think you, you mentioned you're probably certified in that. I think there are certifications, right. Yeah. in project management and what a great skill because it, that's really what compliance is, right? Whether you're setting up a new policy or whether you're investigating, you know, potential billing issues or like you, your example at the beginning of the, the contract management system, all of those are projects and it's managing yep. people and processes and technology and deadlines and, you know, getting effective input, um, getting buy-in, right? Because in compliance, we're often perceived, I don't believe this to be true, but we're maybe perceived as kind of a, a department of no, you can't do that. <laughs> so it, it, part of it is kind of communicating and working and building relationships. So I think that would be a great uh, skill set, project management. It is. Um, and, and I also would encourage our compliance professionals to reach out in your organization and find your project managers. Um, they can be some of your most valuable resources inside your, your organization to help you effectively manage and communicate your compliance program. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other skills that I mentioned was anticipation. This is something that I found uh, is really important. And I I felt like early on in my career, I kind of had a natural, it was almost a knack of anticipating, okay, if this is going to happen, these are the three or four things that might happen four months from now, six months from now, 10 months from now. And seeing into the future a little bit, and some of that comes with experience, but some of it, you know, is just trying to anticipate what, how are humans going to react? How is our organization going to react when this hurdle is put in place? 
right? And so getting to know your organization and to know who the key players are, that takes time. But once you can get that anticipation skill down, that, that's a really important thing in compliance because you're often trying to knock down roadblocks. You're trying to, um, you know, build um, a coalition um, and, and those sorts of things. And I found those skills to be really important too. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, staying connected to the, you know, to the legislative process, what's on the, yes. what's on the roadmap, um, what are the, what are, what enforcement actions are, are taking place. And then it, it's not just reading and understanding the news and, and the, the news of the day, if you will, for compliance and watching the, the roadmap change, but it's also understanding your business enough to know how your organization aligns to these regulatory changes or these enforcement actions. And then building up the, you know, building up the best responses to protect ourselves from those particular risks in our environment. Yeah. I'll give a good example of this. So when COVID started, you know, two years ago, there were some regulatory agencies were exercising, you know, their discretion on enforcement. And so some things were loosened a little bit, right? Maybe with telehealth, maybe with HIPAA. And the moment that was announced, I was already thinking, oh boy, when this pandemic is over, somehow we have to bring those horses back into the barn. And that's hard to do. Once people are like, oh, well, we've been doing this for two years. Why do we have to stop now? Well, that two years was an exception during the public health emergency. And so you have to be, so as soon as those exceptions are announced, you have to be keeping track of them because you as the compliance officer are gonna be expected to tell people when the spigot's being turned off and you have to start bringing those people back into the barn, those horses back into the barn and they're not gonna like it. Absolutely. And I think uh, to that point, one of the things that that I think we will see, and this is just my my subjective um, you know, maybe semi-qualified opinion. Um, I think we'll see more and more enforcement action against CARES Act funding. Yes. Um, we've already seen enforcement action on on just absolute direct fraud, right? Individuals or right. companies, you know, finding ways to manipulate the CARES Act funding. I really believe the government, you know, the OIG is going to come back through and look yep. at how every organization appropriated those funds. And, and did we, as an organization, did we manage our did we manage those the, those funds appropriately and according to the requirements defined in each? And exactly. I thought for, for me and my personal experience, I, I think one of the most interesting things was how some, and I'll just use a, a hypothetical example, if you will, but a hospital association. Um, who has multiple affiliates, they receive some CARES Act funding and they're looking to redistribute that to their members. Well, in many cases, they were adding all these additional requirements that weren't necessarily in the CARES Act legislation. And then you know, we have to follow through all of those requirements and ensure that any of those funds we accepted were they appropriately dispersed. Exactly. Because anytime there's funding, there's red tape and you're certifying to get those funds, you have to certify to all the fine print. And if you're not reading and following through on the fine print, you're going to get caught. We saw this 
from you know 10 years ago with um, the meaningful use funding. And now we're seeing all of the, the settlements of institutions that certified to meaningful use. And now they're paying those, those things back and they're potentially false claims because you, you falsified the certification and, and all. And that cycle just repeats itself in compliance. One of the basic mantras is follow the money, right? So if a lot of money is being dispersed now or two years ago with COVID, think of all of the federal spending that was approved. That was dispersed. There's going to be follow up on that, as there should be. It's it's our, your money and my money. Um, and so, Absolutely. Yeah, anticipate that. Well, if I could, I transition because I have one important question I wanted to ask you. I, I have a little yeah. bit of experience in this area, but a uh, uh, personal experience. But I was curious on for you um, and what you're seeing in the academic world today. Um, I, I know as as compliance has matured since the mid to late '90s, we're now starting to see academic uh, programs specific to healthcare compliance. And, and it's an avenue for a lot of our, for a lot of new professionals that are just entering the workforce. Um, what, what's your, what's your take on academic yeah. Um, compliance yeah, and, and great, various programs that might be available? It's a great question. I'm glad you bring it up because there are some universities that are doing either graduate certificates. So these are typically, you've got a bachelor's degree and now you go get a professional certificate and even some master's degree programs in healthcare law and ethics and, and even in compliance. I know HCCA, which does a lot of certifications for compliance officers, they've recognized certain programs as, a, as if you're in that program, it might meet some of the requirements of having worked a certain number of years in the, in the field and, and those sorts of things that are required for certification. So there's definitely those. And then I also teach in a uh, undergraduate um, uh, university in healthcare administration. And though that's a broad degree for all healthcare administration, we have classes specifically focused on law and ethics that I teach. And so even though you might not be getting a full certificate in healthcare compliance in an undergraduate type of setting, you are getting exposed to that. And it's now a formal part of a lot of curricula for undergraduate degrees that you have some sort of law and ethics course. Um, and so, and I love teaching those to undergraduates. So Brian, you're absolutely right. Those graduate certificates uh, exist now uh, and HCCA even has approved some where you can get either, you know, it's mostly for people who've gotten an undergraduate degree and then they get some sort of professional certificate in healthcare compliance, law and ethics, those sorts of things. And there's even some master's degree programs out there. And so those are, I think, a great pathway for people who, who might wanna kind of set themselves apart. And as you said in your question, the profession has matured, right? And so before it was a bunch of people who just kind of came to it. Now people can actually purposefully think about it and say, I choose a career in healthcare compliance. Yeah, it's very interesting for me. And speaking about my personal experience there, I know that, you know, I've had a number of interns that were finishing yes. up their graduate, their, their undergraduate degrees. They're looking, they're considering law school. Um, they might have an intern, an internship requirement in either a uh, legal or compliance capacity. And I've seen a number of interns come through our, 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 our company and work yes. with us as they're approaching law school or the decision to uh, to go to law school and really try to get an idea of what's it like to be inside a healthcare system managing a compliance program. 
Um, and I've seen a number of those folks transition from that internship to compliance professional careers. Absolutely. And to the point of internships, HCCA occasionally will post on their job board internships that are available. And I would I would suggest to those of us that are in leadership positions in compliance programs, trying to make internships more available and kind of build that next generation of compliance professionals. I agree. I mean, I, for me, there's such a passion in helping people learn exactly. and understand. <laughs> Um, because you know, you and I, we, we can't work forever. Um, right. <laughs> and, and, and I want to pass the baton on to a, you know, to a qualified, um, uh, population of compliance professionals and that have that broad experience. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to recreate the, the, you know, the early two thousands, um, right. and, and the wild west, if you will, the way it was in compliance, cause we were all just trying to figure it out as we went along. Um, and I came along to the, to the profession a little later than that in the, you know, 2010 or so, 2009 or 10. But even then, it was still, we were still really figuring things out. There were substantial changes forthcoming to HIPAA. Um, enforcement, uh, enforcement actions on Stark and anti-kickback were huge back in, in the early 2010s. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know that we'll be able to recreate that experience for compliance professionals coming into the coming into the world today. But what we can do is prepare them for those for yeah. for being uh, for being flexible and just understanding that the world of compliance is constantly changing. And that yeah. for me, that's what makes it most interesting. Yeah, I agree because there's always new things to learn and it keeps it fresh. Um, and you know, as we're coming to the end here, maybe I'll ask you if you have any last minute thoughts, but. I just wanted, for those who are listening and maybe younger, I think there's a real future still. I think the field of compliance is growing. It's not shrinking. It's getting more established, not less. And um, so I really think that young professionals have a great opportunity to succeed in the field of compliance. Do you have any last minute thoughts, Brian? I do. And, I, and, it, and your comment takes me back to a session you and I did a few months back. Um, and what it means, how compliance translates to patient safety and patient trust. Yes. Um, and, and really and truly, why I love this field is because I, I've struggled to put a Band-Aid on a child. Um, but what I can do is help mature compliance program. And that healthy and mature compliance program translates to better patient safety and better patient trust yeah. in improving the overall healthcare delivery in those communities. Yeah, absolutely. There's a connection there for sure. And I think, you know, for, for a, an individual looking to get into compliance or a new start, a new career, uh, having an opportunity to have that kind of influence in your community, you, you can come join our profession and be a compliance professional and have that type of impact in your particular community. Absolutely. And we're both passionate about it. Feel free to reach out to me or to Brian. I, I, can, I think he's offered that in the past. And so um, thanks, Brian, for your thoughts. And thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Uh, we'll uh, talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.